From SGI USA, I'm Cassidy Bradford, and this is Buddhability, the weekly series where I talk with Buddhists from all walks of life about the power we each have to change our lives and the world around us. This week, we asked you to share an impossible dream you have for 2024. This has been, I think, by far the most responded to question. It was really exciting to see how many of you have huge dreams in every area of your life. Many of you want to find partners, break through financial struggles, improve your physical and mental health, make big changes in your careers, repair strained family ties, and find a dream home. One person responded that they wanted to become secure in their romantic relationships, leave behind fear, and become eternally optimistic. Another person responded to believe in my own potential and cast off all the doubt that brings me down. Although we hit February, let's not let the fresh excitement of a new year disappear. The real test starts now. So many goals and dreams feel impossible until we make them happen. In Buddhism, you might think that we're just supposed to focus on becoming enlightened, but actually we chant for any and all things that we want to see happen in our lives. As we chant about our goals, we also manifest the enlightenment that already exists inside our lives. Each goal serves as a way for us to bring out our best qualities and help us make any impossible dreams possible. You might be thinking, yeah, I guess I can see how I might feel more relaxed or calm. But how does chanting change any material things or help me reach my goals? Nam-myoho-renge-kyo is the law of the universe, and by chanting it, you reveal it in your own life, putting yourself in rhythm with the universe. The word law is used like the law of gravity, a law of life that affects us whether we see it or not. So as we chant, we're making this ultimate positive cause to bring out the positive effects in our lives. For the skeptics among you, the only way to know is to experience it yourself. And that's what today's guest did. I spoke with Devesh Kumar of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, about how he tested out Buddhism with impossible goals to see whether this law of cause and effect actually works. My name is Devesh Kumar, and I live in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, currently a fourth-year medical student at the Medical College of Wisconsin, and I'll be finishing up my degree here in May. I turned 25 a couple of months ago. Oh, wow. Happy belated birthday. It's great to have somebody from the Midwest on the podcast. We knew each other from being in the Midwest, Buddhists, and uh, it's great to have you here. So to get started, if you could just share a little bit about kind of who you were growing up and who you were before you started your Buddhist practice. I was born in Karachi, Pakistan, in a large Hindu family, which consisted of my parents, my aunts and uncles, my sister, my grandma. And growing up, I was always taught to give back to my community any which way that I can, and that has really been a part of my identity growing up. So I moved to the United States, to Columbia, Missouri, when I was 10, and I stayed there until I graduated undergrad at the University of Missouri. Although I grew up Hindu, I didn't resonate with it because every time I would question anything, I was told to just believe and not question, or I was giving an answer that didn't resonate with me. Honestly, this led me to become very skeptical and largely pessimistic. At that time, I would say really the best word to describe me in terms of religion or life philosophy might be like atheist or agnostic or something like that. To go from 
atheist to now practicing Buddhism is like a really interesting leap maybe for some people to hear. So how did you encounter Buddhism? During freshman year of college at University of Missouri, I joined this uh, dance group with a bunch of graduate students who were international students from India. I became fast friends with a couple of them, and one friend uh, would often tell me that she was going to go chant. And I didn't think much about it until this one time when I stopped her to ask her what she meant by going to go chant, you know? And she shared with me the practice and invited me to a meeting as well. Out of respect for her, I decided to go. I remember being at the meeting and feeling very happy and making a comment to her saying, wow, you know, these people are so happy and, you know, they're like problem free. And she was like, oh, no, Devesh, like they have so many problems, so many big financial relationship health problems. But despite those, you know, they're cheerful, they're positive and they have so much gratitude. Although I was quite skeptical, I had a great experience with my first meeting, so I was open to going to another one. I remember at one point, she was encouraging me to chant. She told me to really test the practice, and you know, that's something I had never heard before. Those words really got to me. You know, being of the science and logical mind, I was intrigued, and I decided to run a scientific experiment of sorts (laughs) on it. Wow, it's so interesting. Like, yeah, I think you're a approach to thinking of this as an experiment, especially as somebody who, when you were growing up in your household, had a lot of questions about like your family's religion, and you kind of came at it with a lens of skepticism, wondering like, how true is this? It sounds like you also had that kind of mentality or approach to Buddhism. Absolutely. I like, the minute I found out about this, I really was skeptical. I really... Honestly, the only reason I even went to that meeting was out of respect for my friend. If it wasn't her inviting me, I don't think I would have gone because I was just really... I got to a point where I became very anti-religion because I knew a lot of people in my life pretty much sharing their religious beliefs, but really kind of pressurizing me into practicing something that I didn't feel connected to. So just out of fear, I really didn't want to be engaged in any religion or life philosophy. But I'm really happy I went to that first meeting because that first meeting and that friend really changed my life. What was different this time that rather than like feeling pressured, you decided, okay, I'm going to experiment. I'm going to test this out. I think for me, it was the fact that any time she invited me, it seemed like she was really looking out for me rather than having her own agenda. You know, it felt like she was like, I really deeply care about your happiness. Please come check this out because it might change your life. And I was, you know... I have an ego, but my ego is not that strong where I was just like, I'm not going to go because I know better. I was like, there are things out there that I don't know. So I had a strong feeling that there was going to be nothing here. But out of respect, out of care, out of honestly unity as well, because I wasn't the only person she invited. She invited other friends as well. So I was like, I don't want to be the only one who doesn't go. I was the only one who had a car. So I was like, how are they going to get there? Let me at least like provide, you know, some transportation to them, something. I think that really encouraged me to just go and experience something that I wasn't exposed to prior. 
Yeah. Wow. That's really remarkable to like be able to hold both the kind of skepticism, but also like an open skepticism. You know, I think something that's really, to me, unique about Buddhism that like when I talk to people that are curious about this practice is like ask every and all questions. The whole sort of spirit of this practice is to like really seek and study and get your questions answered, not just to have this blind faith. So as you were like, okay, I'm not gonna have blind faith in this, I'm gonna conduct this experiment. What was your Buddhist practice like? How did you actually start? Yeah, this is how I like to share this story. So my mom, she has always had chronic low back pain, which she's really struggled with practically her whole life or her adult life. And I prayed to, you know, so many Hindu gods, but nothing ever changed. I remember, you know, being young, being like 10, and I started making deals with God as well, saying I wish I could really take up her pain instead of her. And nothing ever changed. So uh, my friend, when she said, Devesh, why don't you test the practice? She was really wanting me to test it with something that was impossible. And I knew this was the exact prayer that was impossible because for 10 years, nothing has changed. So I decided to test it with this and I started chanting seriously. I got exposed to this October of 2016 and I started chanting seriously about this in January of 2017. Um, but I was sure that, you know, with any scientific experiment, you have to make sure you're covering all your bases. So I did everything <laughs> my friend uh, told me. So she told me to connect with the Buddhist community. She told me to chant together with them. I did. I went to these meetings. I tried to challenge myself to actually be involved in these meetings as MC a lot of the time or shared some introduction to Buddhism or some like study material. I used to provide transportation to students, mainly to international students who otherwise didn't have means to come to these Buddhist gatherings. So um, she used to always tell me that this was like making a cause for my life, which uh, in essence, like later on, I understood that that's like every time we challenge ourselves to do a little bit more for other people's happiness, we make a cause, you know, to become happy ourselves and really reveal that Buddha nature that exists in all of us. So, you know, months went by, I kept continuing this, and by March, I started feeling happier. And I asked my friend, hey, hypothetically, you know, something does happen for my mom's back pain. How do I know it's because of chanting and these efforts and not due to some coincidence? She said, why don't you set a date? And I did. That was the end of the semester that year, which was May 12th, 2017. During this, you know, with any experiment, you need a unit of measurement. So during this time, I started like a heart rating that I would ask my mom daily. She didn't know I was chanting, but I used to ask her on a scale of one to 10, how bad is your pain? And she would always say a number from like five to seven, generally not above a seven and not below a five. I kept chanting, you know, doing all these things, studying Buddhist texts, supporting meetings, supporting my friends with transportation, and the big date came around. And uh, I was on my way to a trip with my friends to Chicago, so I forgot to ask my mom that day. I came back and I remember standing there, you know, as soon as I entered the house uh, with my blue bag, asking my mom on a scale of one to 10, how bad is your pain? And she was shocked and she was like, son, you just got back. Why don't you come in, you know, freshen up. I'll get food ready for you. And I was like, no, mom, I need to know how bad is your pain? And for the first time in those six months or ever, she said one. I was shocked. I was in disbelief. I asked my mom, how is that possible? 
what happened while I was gone? She said, nothing really. I mean, you know, we changed her bed. So I was like, aha, you know, it's not the practice. It's changing the bed. So I went back to my friend and told her, hey, it really wasn't because of the chanting. It was because they changed their bed. And she's like, Devash, why can't you see it? This practice is not magic. You know, your mom has chronic back problem that isn't just going to go away just like that. But isn't it truly incredible that now when she's in pain, all she has to do is lay down on her new bed and the pain goes to a one every time. And although this was such a profound experience in my life, I was actually not sold just yet. I wanted to test it with more and more things. So I started testing it with anger tendencies, my dad's health, my relationship with my sister, which was a big one, and, you know, many more. It's very interesting with experiences like that that feel like this is just too good to be true. You know, this is just some wild coincidence. For those of us who practice Buddhism and have experienced it in our own life, we're like, wow, you know, that's the power of this practice, this mystic law of cause and effect. But for many others, it's kind of like, yeah, I don't know, that's kind of crazy coincidence. So I think many people can relate to your feeling of like, okay, this like, maybe, maybe it's related to my Buddhist practice, but I still want to test more things. And so, yeah, could you share a little bit more about like, did you like notice any kind of shifts in yourself? Yeah, I did. So, you know, I think my outlook on life at the time was very um, pessimistic. I didn't really understand like why people were truly like happy, you know, deeply just like happy. And then I think this really led to my relationship with my sister also not being the best because as we were growing up, we were always a year apart. Um, so when she was a senior in high school, I was a freshman in college. And I think just being in different phases of our life, we, you know, weren't super close. You know, a lot of times she would not respond to my calls and I would get frustrated, which would then kind of perpetuate the cycle of being angry. I remember talking to my Buddhist friends and they were like, why don't you chant about this? You know, you chant every week. Why don't you just chant about this specifically? And I remember chanting for one hour on a Tuesday and six minutes into that, like after the hour was done, I got a call from my sister out of the blue apologizing for, you know, how she never picks up her calls. And I was like, this is so out of the blue. I didn't understand it. There were so many small, small shifts that happened. It's very subtle, you know? it's like this is yet another coincidence right so with that I just ended up realizing that I had 10 15 20 coincidences which at that point I was like this is not a coincidence you know I can't keep saying it's a coincidence at that point I totally relate to that actually even though I grew up in this Buddhist community when I first started, it was hard for me to always tell like, oh, this is totally because of my Buddhist practice. But yeah, with time, you're like, oh, yeah, you can start to see so clearly. I can see the shift in my attitude. I can see my environment is kind of reflecting that change in me. So throughout your undergraduate, what were you studying and like, how did you end up getting to medical school? So when I first started college, I chose biochemistry as my major. I just wanted to make sure I chose a major that, you know, prepared me well for medical school. 
I was, you know, since childhood have been interested in going to medical school. I think largely due to my father who is in medicine as well. You know, growing up, I was always taught to give back to my community and that's just the way he decided to give back. So really following in his footsteps, I wanted to do something very similar. So could you tell me a little bit about like what that process was and like applying? As I was applying, I had quite a few struggles. So, you know, biochemistry did prepare me well where I felt like, you know, I had a decent CV, a decent GPA. I never felt, you know, smart. (laughs) So (laughs) as I was studying for my entrance exam, which is the MCAT, my score on the MCAT was average. And unfortunately, I had some minor legal struggles. I haven't really spoken up about these struggles on a large platform such as this, but, (laughs) you know, I I decided to go ahead and talk about it. So, you know, during the end of freshman year, as I was backing out of a parking lot, I hit the car behind me. It was very late at night. And, you know, being generally a safe driver and having somewhat of a clean record prior to this, I was confused and I really didn't know what to do. So I got out of the car, checked my car, checked the other car for scratches, and there was nothing. A little later, cops showed up on my doorstep, and this ultimately led to some legal troubles. And that later went on uh, my record as a local ordinance. I only told a few people about this. And the people that I told, they pretty much told me that my chances of getting accepted to medical school were very low. I was told that I'd be lucky to even get one interview, you know, and that was quite frustrating and disheartening at the time. And I just want to, you know, be able to share, although I'm kind of underplaying these legal struggles, you know, saying minor legal struggles, they actually became quite big because they went on my record. And then that's why people said what they said about how I'd even be lucky to get one interview. So, you know, that was a very difficult time in my life just because I just didn't know how to respond. And um, even my parents, I, I appreciate them so much because they were there to support me through it all. But I remember, you know, when people told me this, I at that point had been practicing Buddhism for a couple of years. So I remember telling them, saying, watch me, you know, watch me get many interviews and get accepted to a program where I'm meant to go. So, you know, with having practiced for four years by then, I knew I could accomplish the impossible. So I was very confident that I was going to be able to do it. This practice is based on chanting Nam Myoho Renge Kyo, which translates to the devotion of the mystic law of the simultaneity of cause and effect. So really focusing on the simultaneity part, I realized that the minute we make a cause, we actually get the effect or a benefit in our lives that we can kind of undeniably see. In this like medical school process, I you know helped with many big initiatives in the Buddhist community, all of which were really geared towards uh, people's happiness and creating hope and love in people's hearts. I would make sure to get involved as much as I can while managing my coursework. That's definitely a struggle that a lot of, you know, students go through, you know, being able to manage their coursework. So I would meet up with young men, chant with them, learn more about their struggles. And I realized how powerful these efforts can be. Whenever I approached things logically, I was like, yep, this is definitely very difficult to be making these efforts and also managing a very heavy biochemistry and medical workload. But then the minute I 
really started prioritizing my efforts in chanting somehow my other work my academic work I was able to do it more efficiently and just a lot better I remember the weirdest experience I had with this medical school process was that on a Friday morning I received an email from a school practically saying that they enjoyed reading my application but they were not fully decided whether they wanted to extend an interview to me. And they will communicate their decision at a later time. I remember feeling disheartened initially, but I got up and asked myself, how can I support people today and spread even more happiness? And I had an incredible day that day. The very next morning, Saturday morning at 6.02 a.m., I received an email from them inviting me from an interview. I'm currently a fourth-year medical student at that institution, the Medical College of Wisconsin. That is amazing. In that moment, feeling really kind of like saddened by the email, how did you decide like, okay, somehow I'm still going to like create a cause today for someone else's happiness and for my own Initially, whenever I first started chanting, I had a little bit of emotional dysregulation or even if something brought me down, I stayed down. But after years of practicing, there was a shift in me. Whenever something brought me down, it only it took me a very small amount of time before I just got back up and thought about the next steps. So although I received this email and I really liked this school, I remember it just being like, you know, maybe 30 minutes where I was like, okay, Devesh, what's next? What can I do next? So I, I just kept asking myself, how can I support people? So I reached out to a lot of my uh, friends who were applying to medical school. I reached out to uh, other friends and just connecting with people. I just naturally started to feel happy. So it was just that entire day. It was just like, what's next? Let's keep being happy. Let's keep trying our best, you know? And I wasn't thinking I was going to receive an email the next day, but to my surprise, I did. And that was, uh, that was definitely the weirdest experience in the this entire medical school interview trail. You have so many moments in your Buddhist practice that I feel like are like that, like you're really going all out. Rather than having just one foot in and one foot out, you're like fully in. And I think that like allows these kind of big shifts that you see in your life. You started school, and I know a couple of people that have gone through medical school. My understanding is it can be pretty exhausting, very draining. What was your experience like when you started? The transition between college and medical school was a lot. You know, I didn't know how to manage such a large workload. The good thing was, though, with time, I felt comfortable doing so and felt like I had a great routine until second year of medical school, which was which is definitely tougher. During second year, everything ramps up quite a bit. I began feeling sad and depressed. And my mental health struggles presented somatically for me as this really like this daunting, gnawing, like feeling right below my chest, above my stomach. I used to call it my gut feeling. And I struggled with it for quite some time. But, you know, with something that you struggle with chronically, I became used to it. It just became a part of me. It would definitely come in waves. And during the second year of med school, the waves were a lot more frequent. And I, I really attribute that to an intense workload. During this time, I also realized that I was struggling to focus and stay on task. I knew something wasn't right. 
and I just didn't know what to do after that. So I sought help from a psychiatrist. I, I really love him. He's very outspoken about his own struggles. And I was able to connect with him on a cultural level. So, you know, I went through some self-reported testing and he actually diagnosed me with ADHD. After receiving this diagnosis, it all finally started to make sense why I've been struggling for years and why it always felt like I was, you know, working 10 times harder than my peers to really finish a task. I felt unheard prior to this, and now it all finally you know, started to make sense. Yeah, I know so many people that when they're struggling with some kind of like medical or health issue, getting a diagnosis maybe sometimes can feel like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I have whatever thing this is. <laughs> but I think many times for Buddhists, it's like, uh, feels really like a benefit for them. Like, oh, now I know exactly what it is so that I can treat it, so that I can handle it. And it sounds like for you, having that diagnosis felt like, oh, wow, okay, now I can see what's going on. It all makes sense. What was your Buddhist practice like at this time, like in this second year and as you were going through getting this diagnosis? I think my Buddhist practice played a huge role even during like my college days uh, whenever I would experience these feelings because a lot of times I wanted to give up. There's this one quote by a Buddhist philosopher, Daisuke Ikeda, that I always feel connected with. And I've held this in my heart for the last eight years, which is, no matter how hopeless or bleak things appear, the moment always comes when suddenly our spirit revives and hope is reborn. That's why we must never give up. So I think just always holding this in my heart, you know, kind of reading this, at least on a weekly basis, I just always reminded myself I could never, ever give up, you know, even if, you know, sometimes my Buddhist practice fluctuated. So to really answer your question about kind of what my Buddhist practice looked at that time of my life, in all honesty, it was lacking quite a bit. I was dating someone at the time, and you know, although she's great, I somewhere felt uh, conscious to share my practice with her. So oftentimes, whenever I would spend time with her, I just didn't chant, I didn't practice daily, I was not consistent, I was not studying, I was not supporting these meetings that I'm talking about, or even reaching out to a lot of my Buddhist friends to, you know, just check in on them. I felt that I prioritized her over a lot of aspects of my life. So I remember reaching out to a Buddhist friend who encouraged me to chant. And I told him, I'm struggling to chant. And he was like, you know, if you're struggling to chant, you should study Buddhist texts, which encourages you to chant. But what's important is that you keep doing something. You cannot give up. You have to keep doing something. I'm so glad that you shared that because so many people that I know that practice Buddhism and myself included, having a daily consistent practice is incredibly difficult sometimes. Sometimes it feels easy and you're in the rhythm and your life state is really high, but other times like you really feel knocked down and to try and just chant once, twice a day is like, oh my gosh, this giant mountain. <laughs> I can't even imagine trying to do that. But I think it's important what you're sharing that the key is to do something, even if it feels like so itty bitty, 
right? If you can study something, if you can chant a little bit, doesn't matter like how much or how big the action is, it's just important to make it. So when, you know, you got this kind of encouragement from your friend, like just do something, did you see, like, did you make a shift? Did you see any kind of results uh, after that? So initially, like right when, you know, this shift happened, initially, no. Um, you know, my mental health was very much on a downturn and that led me to realize that, you know, this partner, although she's great, wasn't the right one for me. And I decided to end things with her. And, you know, now with more time on my hands, I decided to make even more efforts. And this time around, you know, I'm chanting regularly. So this is like another shift, you know, I'm chanting regularly and I saw immense results where I started feeling happy again just uh, i was feeling happy really from within there was a buddhist study conference in 2023 so despite being on rotations i made it a determination you know no matter what i'm going to go to this conference and one of my prayers towards this conference was to have such a profound experience that I can share with my friends at the conference to be able to encourage them. I remember there's this one quote from Daisuke Ikeda, um, which says, when your determination changes, everything will begin to move in the direction you desire. The moment you resolve to be victorious, every nerve and fiber in your being will immediately orient itself towards your success. On the other hand, if you think this is never going to work out, then at that instant, every cell in your being will be deflated and give up the fight. So, you know, to my shock, two weeks before going to this conference, um, I had accomplished all the prayers I was chanting for, including the prayer, which was to have an experience. So my gut feeling, that gnawing feeling, went away completely. It was just gone. You know, I felt so much relief. But I was also so confused. This was just so new to me. I just felt, you know, so much relief and I, I didn't know what to do. So I was like, maybe this feeling will come back. So I think I was a little fearful. I totally relate to this. Like in my own experiences with anxiety, I, um, in my case, I started medication. I had been really chanting about my anxiety and realized like, oh, you know what? I think that I need to, you know, seek professional support and had the courage to do so. And after I started medication, I just was like, wow, I didn't know that my brain could be this quiet. <laughs> so similarly, this kind of like, whoa, I didn't know that I didn't have to have that gnawing gut feeling. But did it come back? And if it did, like, how did you handle that? Yeah, so it actually did come back. So I was completely free of this feeling. You know, I still had ADHD. I knew I was still struggling to be able to like, you know, focus and stuff like that. And there's some aspect of ADHD I actually consider to be my superpower, you know, to some extent. But this gnawing feeling was definitely paralyzing. So I was three months free. I was so happy. And then for one day it came back. And I remember waking up in the morning and I was like, what is this? Why is it back? But I think my mindset at that time was completely different because I was so happy with not having the feeling that I got used to not having the feeling. So I remember getting up, being like, okay, 
today, you know, it's going to be a struggle, but I'm going to be victorious no matter what. So I remember getting up, chanting, studying, uh, supporting friends. And I remember just being like, okay, like today I'm going to make today a great day. It, it did continue. The feeling continued for that day. And the very next day, the feeling went away again. From that moment until now, it's been five months. So if you think about it, I've been like free of that feeling for seven, eight months, except for that one day, you know? So now I'm just like, I'm never going to accept that feeling again in my life. Yeah, I feel like knowing that it's possible to overcome something, like once you have that kind of experience and conviction, then if it does like, you know, creep in, it's like, ah, I know that I can tackle this. I'm not going to be defeated by it. You know, even for my own anxiety, there are times that, oh, I get this kind of flare up, but it doesn't consume me anymore. It used to feel like, wow, this is just my life forever. I'm always going to feel this way. And now it's like, oh, okay, <laughs> this is like a, a bummer, but I can work through it. And I know that it's going to pass. Being able to rely on my Buddhist practice to like summon up that kind of determination is really key for me. It sounds like so much of your experience practicing Buddhism has really been about summoning up this kind of determination that like you can overcome anything. Doesn't matter how impossible it seems, you're gonna win. So admirable to like be able to have that. And I'm wondering like, how do you do that? How do you bring that out of your life? That's a really good question. I think initially that was definitely tough because I, I don't think it's something that you can just like, just be able to think and make it happen. I think a lot of it comes down to creating a strong sense of self and a lot of that comes from really polishing our lives. So I like to polish my life through my Buddhist practice. I, you know, chant every day in the morning, whenever I chant, it's kind of like the first impression of my day, which allows me to really tackle anything and everything that day is going to bring me with, with poise, with happiness, you know, with strength. And then I chant at night as kind of like reflecting on my day or having gratitude for everything that happened. You know, if you do this one day, that's great. But if you just keep this, you know, for a week and then for a month and for two months, many months, you'll realize that it's slowly, slowly, like you're just getting maybe 0.1% better every day, which just creates this like strong sense of self. And somehow I'm able to summon up this courage. You know, this form of Buddhism, kind of the three pillars that we talk about are faith, practice, and study. Uh, and the three characteristics that we bring forth through these three pillars are courage, compassion, and wisdom. So that courage being one of them, I think that's how I've been able to have the courage to be able to continue this every day, have the compassion that, you know, everyone is struggling with something. So how can I be there for them? One of the things we talk about in this practice is happiness of self and happiness of others. So although I'm fighting for my happiness, how can I fight for other people's happiness? How can I support other people for their happiness. And I think that is such a strong component of this practice and should not be, you know, overlooked. That is a great point. When I started my practice, I really was just so consumed with all of the muck in my own life. Everybody kept saying this Buddhism is about equally your own happiness and the happiness of others. 
And finally, I started to think, oh, maybe I really need to take this seriously. They say this is a big part of Buddhist practice. And with time, I've come to realize, wow, my life is just so much more vibrant, so much fuller through also supporting other people's happiness. And I think it's so clear in your life that by challenging yourself in all of these areas, you just have this vibrancy and this courage, wisdom, compassion, all of those things. So thank you so much for for sharing that. I know also that you're now finishing up your four years of school. Do you have any upcoming goals for the future? And like now you're finishing medical school? Yeah, I do. I always like to write down my goals. So I have a lot of goals. One of them is that I'll be finishing up my rotation here in about two weeks. And right after my rotation ends, I'm kind of done with school until I graduate. And a couple of days after my rotation ends, I find out where I'm going to go for residency or, you know, if I'm going to match. But I'm determined that I am going to match and I'm going to go to my number one place. Um, So, you know, that's really one thing that I'm uh, chanting about and really going towards. I guess aside from this, I've realized that, you know, this is something completely different, but my financial state is not exactly where I want it to be. So, you know, my goal towards 2024, kind of throughout the rest of this year, is to really be able to change up my financial state where I can get, you know, first class or business class tickets from my parents so that they can live in comfort. Actually, it's so interesting that even in your financial goals, They're really for like supporting others in your life, which is really remarkable. I just want to highlight that my financial goals are probably all about me. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I I have a lot of financial goals about myself as well. But um, I just, you know, my parents have given me everything. Uh, to this point and they've just supported me through through it all you know Mm. and I just want to you know be able to give back to them and really as we say in Buddhism you know pay my debt of gratitude Mm. to my parents so I think that itself is a big driving force in my life for sure wow oh that's wonderful I'm wondering if you have any piece of advice for someone listening um, who maybe hasn't tested out Buddhism yet, hasn't experimented with it, but they're going through something similar to you in some part of your experience that you shared. What advice would you give to them? Run your own scientific experiment on this. Run an experiment, you know, do the whole nine yards, confounding variables, triplicates of data, you know, level of, you know, a unit of measurement, a date by when you're going to assess results, do the whole thing and you'll see. But, you know, if you're doing it, uh, do it properly. That's the one thing, you know, so do it properly. Another thing that I would like tell everyone listening is to be a little bit open-minded. I think everyone comes from a different environment and different background. Every single person that I know of struggles with something, you know, and wishes that something was different in their lives or their friends' lives or their neighbors' lives or something like that. I think it's important to maybe write down those prayers, like very clearly exactly what you want and just give this a try. You know, chant. It doesn't have to be for years before you see anything. Just try it out for a month, you know? But if you're trying it out, just be consistent. Chant every day, connect with the Buddhist community, you know, study, make all these efforts. Just do it for a month. You know, everyone can do a little bit for a month. 
and you'll yourself start to see changes in your own life. This is something that you shouldn't just have blind faith. You should not believe anything I'm telling you or anything anyone's telling you. Try it out for yourself. This practice is very much experiential. It is completely okay to have doubts. You know, seek answers to those doubts. And nobody ever expects you to believe anything just because someone said it. You shouldn't. Actually, the people that don't believe it and keep questioning are the people I've come to realize, you know, see the most benefits and try to, you know, even fight harder for people's happiness. I was impressed by the way Devesh was able to use his skepticism as fuel to test out Buddhism. In his time practicing, he's gone from someone rather pessimistic and skeptical of any kind of spirituality to a person who feels capable of anything, as long as he gives his all. In Buddhism, there are two kinds of benefits, conspicuous and inconspicuous. Buddhist philosopher Daisaku Ikeda explains it this way, Conspicuous benefit is the obvious, visible benefit of being protected or being quickly able to surmount a problem as it arises, be it an illness or a conflict in personal relationships. Inconspicuous benefit, on the other hand, is less tangible. It is good fortune accumulated slowly but steadily, like the growth of a tree or the rising of a tide, which results in the forging of a rich and expansive state of life. We might not discern any change from day to day, but as the years pass, it will be clear that we become happy, that we've grown as individuals. This is inconspicuous benefit. In Devesh's case, he had many clear conspicuous benefits, like getting into medical school while also showing inconspicuous benefits, like developing the confidence that he can overcome any challenge in his life. He started out skeptical that anything would result from his Buddhist practice. And it's okay to have doubts. There is some great advice from an introductory book called The Buddha in Your Mirror that touches on trying out Buddhist practice when you're not totally sure if it all works. Over the course of this book, and for podcast listeners, you can think about it as over the course of this Buddhability podcast series, We've discussed how the key to surmounting life's hurdles and achieving its goals lies within each of us, the Buddhas in our respective mirrors. We've examined the interconnection between ourselves and others, and between our lives and our respective environments. We've even explored how to face death in a fresh, encouraging way. The crucial step now is putting into practice what we've learned, making the thrilling leap from the mere holding of knowledge to the actualization of our vast potential. The primary practice, as we have explained throughout the book, is to chant Nam-myoho-renge-kyo. Nam-myoho-renge-kyo can be chanted anywhere at any time, preferably in a manner that won't disturb others, but the effects of practice are best seen when carried out on a regular basis. We suggest setting aside a bit of time each morning and evening for, say, at least five minutes each session. Sit straight and comfortably, and if possible, face a blank portion of the wall or some neutral background that won't distract you. The chant repeats without a break between each nam-myoho-renge-kyo. Feel free, of course, to breathe whenever necessary, then go back to your rhythmic chant. You can either focus on a specific goal or problem, or you can let your mind naturally coast from thought to thought. You will soon see some tangible result. Again, this is not to say that you must have conviction that this will happen from the very start. It is only natural to have doubt. Confidence in Buddhist practice begins with your very first attempt to try it and see, and it deepens over time as you gain continual, actual proof. Yet doubt is an element with which practitioners must always contend. As the German author Hermann Hesse said, faith and doubt correspond to each other and supplement each other. There is no true faith where there is no doubt. The essential thing, however, is to use your doubts as fuel to find the answers to your questions. 
Practically speaking, it helps if you can bolster your practice by relating to like-minded others who can encourage you through life's inevitable rough spots and whom you can encourage in turn based on your own emerging experiences. As the book has pointed out, we don't live in a vacuum and our efforts to help others become happy directly enhance our own level of happiness. To learn more about how to chant, we've got great videos and articles available on the Buddhability website. And if you'd like to get connected to a local Buddhist community to study and chant with other like-minded folks, reach out to us at connect at sgi-usa.org. Finally, for next week's episode, we want to know one thing that makes you feel empowered in your daily life. Until next time, thanks for listening.